0: You're loving weed these days. Yeah, I I get like creative, and I get a lot of shit done. Yeah, and I I think it—I don't think it energizes me. I think what it does is um, it—it puts my ADD at bay a little bit. Ah. I think that's what it does. You know what I'm saying? I do. But it's got to be this—the sativa.
1: Yeah. The indica makes me want to go night night. (laughs) Yeah. I love the indica. The sativa makes me want to turn myself into the police for crimes I didn't commit. (laughs) All right, shall we? Welcome to The Fellowship, the only podcast that promises new episodes on Monday and never never... Ever delivers, never sees it through. (laughs) My name is Adam Hawk, and I'm Ryan Engel. And back from the Beehive State after four days at the Sundance Film Festival, six days on the road, and 1400 miles on the odometer, he is Ryan Engel together. For better or worse, we are Nation Golf, and we are damn glad to have you on today's show. We will have an extremely late reaction to an amateur winning at the Bob Hope Desert Classic will lament the fact that we are never getting invited back to La Quinta Country Club. We will discuss the name and logo filed by Tiger Woods for what is probably his new apparel company. And I, Adam Hawk, sick as a dog, will give you some life advice on the perfect time to go to bed. But first, we have to start in the great state of Utah, the land of Mormons and state-run liquor stores that close on Sundays because, as mentioned... Ryan Engel is back from Sundance and I have questions. Shall we get started, Parts. We shall. Quick backstory for the non-regular listener. Ryan Engel went to Sundance Film Festival to help his wife, Katie Kai, run a pop-up shop for her brand, Dandy Del Mar. And as he put it last week, he was the help or just a piece of meat, as he said in his own words. He was out there for four days, drove the whole way, navigated the elements and lived to tell about it. If you look up, Fish out of water in the dictionary, you will see a picture of an uncultured 42 year old self loathing surfer at an independent arts festival that looks a lot like the man sitting across from me right now. But let's get to the pressing questions. Last week on the show, you disclosed a friendly wager you had going with your wife for every person that recognized you at Sundance as your alter ego tips from the tips, she would give you $20. You stated on the podcast that you thought you'd collect $180, meaning Nine people would spot you. How many people recognized you?
0: Well, technically three, but Katie Kai wasn't there.
1: Oh, really? So it
0: didn't count. You... But I will say this, and I've noticed this a number of times when you're out in the in the wild, as they like to call in the business, Adam. A lot of people don't come up and say anything. You get that little side eye thing, and they look at you, and they don't want to say it. Maybe they hate you. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Felt like I got a little bit of that. Could have been that I looked a little bit out of place, but no one's going to know. No one knows.
1: Yeah, or maybe Uh, people were just confusing you for Nick Offerman.
0: Who the fuck is that?
1: You never seen Parks and Rec? Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm way better looking than that guy.
1: (laughs) So... Three people recognized you, but your wife wasn't around, and you are potentially counting side eyes that you got. I'm just
0: giving myself the over-under. It could have been like five or seven. Sounds- I still came up a little short.
1: Sounds like a big, fat (laughs) goose egg to me. (laughs) And little do you know, your wife was in this iPod broadcast recording studio before we started taping today. I asked her how many people recognize you. She said none. And she also said that the bet was for $500.
0: No, it was. she's out of her tree, dude. You owe
1: your wife $500. I'll tell you
0: what, after this last weekend... Ain't nobody owe her, she owes me, dude. Is that right? Yeah, dude. Did you attend any film screenings? No. And here's my takeaway from the Sundance Film Festival. I think you labeled it ahead of your broadcast an independent arts festival. There isn't anything independent at all about this thing. It's just like anything. Just like any PGA Tour event, any concert you go to nowadays, the corporate world is everywhere. Now, yes these movies they're showing might not have been majorly funded by the normal powers that be within the film industry, but don't even fool yourself for one second, folks. There ain't nothing independent about this thing at all. It is a massive, elitist, good old boys club corporate event. I mean, you got brands and Credit card companies and car companies taking over the town and having these hundreds of thousands of dollar build outs to turn mom, pa's little pancake flipper house into a nightclub for the weekend. You know, it's a joke. This Chase Sapphire Club like extruded into the streets with just chrome and mirrors and lights and all this shit. They build these big old makeshift buildings for the Acura nightclub and 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 you can't get in on any of those movies or things unless you bought these tickets long ahead of time for hundreds and hundreds of dollars there's no like knowing a guy in town knowing the bouncer or waiting in line and getting in it's a full-on corporate elitist non-independent party is what this thing is
1: okay so so far folks ryan was recognized by zero people and attended zero film screenings let's move on Besides looking in the mirror, did you see anyone famous when you were out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Pedro
0: Mandalorian guy. What's the Iron Man guy's name? Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was cruising around. But for the most part, it's like you're walking around. It's a lot of people like scenesters. They're trying to like get noticed with an outlandish outfit to think of this as like an independent film festival, it's really not. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. The whole town transforms into smoke and mirrors.
1: Did you use the brand new walkie-talkies that you purchased from Big Five for the caravan? This is the silver bullet calling
0: the blue subie. Come on, Beck. <laughs> you goddamn right we did, dude.
1: How was it? It was. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. What are you going to do with the walkie-talkies now? I don't know. Save them for the next trip. What was your high from the trip?
0: On our way home, we stopped in Vegas for one night. For all of us out there who have a young family or you're married, especially with children, it's hard to get those times where you and your wife can connect and have a good time. We got the baby down. She was on the monitor. The parents were in the next room. And we went downstairs and just pulled some one-armed bandits and ripped some darts and Went to shitty fucking nightclub and laughed at people and danced and had a ball with each other, just me and her. And that was my highlight of the trip. What was your low from the trip? Probably the first night we drove for like four days, what seemed like, and got into town late. And then mom and dad had the baby. They were running errands. And so they were late. So then it was like a fire drill to like get the house set up, get the crib set up. And then we had to go back and set up all of the 21 boxes of goods and props to take over the shop. So we worked till like one in the morning. It's snowing balls outside. Katie Kai and I are just on our last fucking bit of energy putting that thing together. There was a number of breaking points in, in that situation because I had gone to Palm Springs the night before, got home late from that, from ripping all day, woke up at three in the morning, drove out all the way to there, set up shop, was up until one in the morning there. Felt like I didn't sleep for a week.
1: Overall, how was the trip?
0: It was a blast. I actually like driving. I don't like the idiots that don't follow etiquette on the roads, but I do like driving and it's a pretty drive out there. So I'm okay sitting in the car and kind of commanding the ship all that time. As much as I didn't like what the festival has become, it's still really fun being around kind of an energetic town. There's great people watching, you know, going to breakfast in the morning, ripping around, but feels good to be home. Well, glad to
1: have you back. Thanks. (laughs) How was your weekend? That <laughs> yeah, was great. It was great. watched a lot of golf, which we'll talk about right now. Moving on to golf. the Bob Hope Desert Classic, played this past weekend out in La Quinta, California. I am guessing you didn't see much of it because of your obligations at Sundance.
0: I saw a few highlights when we were at bars and just kind of checked the score here and there, but I didn't watch much.
1: This tournament will be remembered for a long, long time because quite simply, Absolute golf history was made when Nick Dunlap, a 20-year-old sophomore from the University of Alabama, beat back the likes of Sam Burns, Justin Thomas, and Xander Shoffley to become the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event since Phil Mickelson did it back in 1991 and the youngest amateur to win on tour since 1910. Nick Dunlap is also the first reigning U.S. amateur champion to win a professional event since Tiger Woods did it in 96 and only the eighth amateur ever to beat the paid pros. Put simply, this is a big, big deal and an awesome accomplishment, and it was, without hyperbole, one of the most exciting things I have seen on the golf course ever. And it's not like this guy backed into it either. He led for two rounds. He coughed up his lead late on Sunday. He battled back, made some huge shots when he had to. Just about everyone ripped apart PGA West. They always do. But in order to win that event, you have to dismantle that place more than 155 other guys. And he did. So take nothing away from him. It was a hell of a win.
0: I got a hot take about it. Okay. He benefited greatly from the dormant Bermuda rough coming down the stretch. That last hole, that's a tough hole. Sprayed it way right. Got a flyer lie, Still missed it long. Both those shots, had those been in Lakina Country Club, perennial rye, long rough, I don't think
1: he wins that tournament. Yeah, but that's golf.
0: We've talked about it before on the show. This dormant Bermuda thing that PGA West does and some of the clubs are doing out there, it's stupid. I agree. There's no penalty. He sliced a three-wood right, and he would have had over 200 yards out from what should have been the rough, I think he loses that tournament.
1: That's fair, but you can look back at the 2023 U.S. Open when Wyndham Clark on 18 protecting a one-shot lead fanned one so far right that it was in Riverside, and he still was in the fairway. But that's just because that fairway's huge. My point is
0: when the tournament's on the line and you miss the fairway, it comes down to that moment where this is for all the eggs, all the milk... All the bread. This is for the whole fucking grocery list. All the pressure is on you. And you miss it that bad. He choked that shot under pressure. And he got away with it. What's the point in having a fairway if there's no penalty
1: for hitting the rough? But that can be said about every single hole at PGA West and can be said for every single player that played. It came
0: down to the end, Adam. He sprayed it and there was no penalty by laying out the golf course like that, it takes away from the pressure of those last shots. Nothing against him. He's a great talent. He deserved to win because everyone did have those same conditions, but no one else had that condition on that tee box to win. That's why it should be so hard to win a PGA Tour event is all the guys go through and now you got to come through and you either choke or you pull it off. And had there been rough, he would have choked. That's why I don't like it. I don't want to sound like I'm taking anything away from him. My bone to pick is with that golf course. That dormant Bermuda thing is bullshit. It looks like trash. It's too easy for him. There's
1: no penalty for spraying it. There's a lot being made about his amateur status and the fact that he won't get one penny of the $1.5 million going to first place because amateurs don't get paid. But that's such a short-sighted talking point. And here's why I don't care. Nick Dunlap knew that if he made the cut, he wasn't taking home a check. And he still showed up showed out and never mentioned the money once after he won. He's going to get a payday. Did he miss out on the money then? Yeah, but it's a lot easier to stomach it knowing that you got a lot of fucking shit coming your way. I couldn't agree more. The two points that I want to talk about as it relates to Nick Dunlap and what he did at the Bob Hope last weekend, the first one is more of a question. Would you rather be a 20-year-old pro, win a PGA event, collect the cash, or be an amateur, make about 10 bullet points worth of history and etch your name into golf lore for the rest of time solely because of your amateur status. In other words, what would you rather have? $1.5 million or the history? Because the only way you get the money is if you're a pro, and if you're a pro, none of what you did this past weekend is historical. So I ask you, the money or the history?
0: I mean, obviously the history, but it's kind of a flawed comparison there because... He didn't have the choice. He wasn't going to be in that tournament if he turned pro. He was there because he was an amateur. So yeah, it would be nice to have the money, but it feels a lot better knowing the money's coming. What I don't like about it, and I want to get on the horn with Patton and Joe and ask their insights on it, that poor fucking caddy gets nothing. It's fun to talk about these millionaire golfers and future millionaire golfers like this kid Dunlap. They're going to be set. Their wives are going to be trying to remodel their kitchen 14 times in every house they own because she's so bored with all the money that they have that she's got to get new cabinets every other fucking year. It's like leasing a car. These kids are not going to have any issues. I'm talking about the good old boys carrying the wrenches, staying in motels where every little $10,000 check means the fucking world to them. This guy got stiffed. He should have got $150,000 that weekend. So my question is, does JT, all these cool guy millionaires who want to look good in front of the media all the time does anyone pitch in that's the sad part i'm sure he's not upset about it because he can't be he's excited they won and stuff but these important guys they they get the money easy but us regular dudes it's a lot harder to get the money and the money means a lot more to him that was my first thought when i saw it i was just like i wonder if any of these guys pitch in and, and throw this guy some cash dude
1: Maybe they do, or maybe the caddy has the same feeling that you have about Nick Dunlap, where he knows that the money is coming later on down the road because maybe this guy is going to be on Dunlap's bag it's, for a long time. It, it, which is true, but he's still missing out on 150 k To answer my own question, I am taking the history over the money all course, day, every day.
0: Of course, it's 100% history.
1: Yeah, this kid clearly has the goods. He won the U.S. Junior Am, he won the US Am, and he just won the Bob Hope. He is going to turn pro at some point and some point soon. He's going to get endorsed he's going to make well over 1.5 million dollars on the tour hell he'll probably make that in his first professional season so to me the money is going to come and it's going to be far more than what he would have made as a pro this past weekend winning the bob hope but that history and putting your name next to tiger woods and phil mickelson and doing something in golf that has only been done eight times is priceless and it was all contingent upon him being an unpaid amateur
0: Wednesday turning pro?
1: I think he's going to turn pro this week. I think he went home from the Bob Hope back to Alabama, withdrew from the Farmers Insurance Open. I thought that was smart. Yep. Because he's going to start to put it all together. He's yeah. this is He's got to put his plan together. And you're exactly right. There's no
0: way he's going back to school. None. Zero, zero way. No You'd be chance. stupid to. Yeah. Those guys don't go to school anyways. Scholarship athletes, everybody knows. I've seen it at every level. You can go to a D3 school. Those basketball players... They're not only getting paid and getting a free apartment and all that stuff, but they ain't going to class. It's a joke. Right. He's for sure going pro. I'm surprised he didn't do it right away.
1: Well, to the point we were just making, I think he needs to go home and get the many, many ducks in a row that is required to turn pro. This isn't as simple as flipping a switch and, oh my gosh, I'm a professional golfer. Your entire life changes right here. You have to start to schedule out your events, book your airfare, understand what this means for your college future or lack thereof. Your entire life is about to change, which is why he left the desert and went back to Alabama instead of going to San Diego because it's time for him to figure all that out. And good for him. He gets to figure it out a lot sooner than he probably anticipated. Now, the second point I want to make about Nick Dunlap and what he did at the Bob Hope, and this isn't something I have seen anyone anywhere talking about, but this really does show definitively that the PGA Tour has something that Live Golf will never have. And that's history, that's tradition, and that's stakes. This meant something. This was watched. This was talked about. This was headline news. This is history. This can be measured against the past. This was incredibly consequential. And no matter where you come out on the PGA Tour or live or what you love and what you hate, no one can deny that the PGA Tour will always have the ultimate trump card in golf that means something. Don't shoot the messenger, but it's true. Golf means something on the PGA Tour. It means absolutely nothing over at Live. Nothing. There isn't a world that exists where anything that happens on Live means a damn thing, and that will always be the case. (laughs) Sounds pretty emotional. It's not emotional. It's fact. No, I mean, a lot of
0: that is true. It's all true. The last bit that you said, that's subjective. It's not that it's right or wrong. It's just subjective. That history and tradition that you're talking about, that is in the past. The PGA Tour is not recreating that now. This tournament that this kid won used to be surrounded by lots of very influential people all celebrating and there for the better good of the charities that week and supporting the the, the valley and the winner would be holding a, the Eisenhower trophy, but now he's got some American Express crystal reward, and there's a bunch of people that nobody knows out there spending all this money and scratching each other's back. The history and tradition you're talking about is long gone, dude. What the PGA has to fall back on is is in their rearview mirror. They don't give a fuck about the past anymore, dude. What you said is true, but will that be true in the future? Are these kids really going to care? Or are these kids going to be going to college trying to get live contracts? We don't know. Money talks, dude. I wish it were like you say it is, but I just don't think it is.
1: I don't care if Nick Dunlap goes to live. I don't care if the PGA Tour's history is in the rear view. I don't care what this will look like in months or years from now. What I do care about is that that rear view mirror you mentioned exists. There are hundreds of years of history, and Nick Dunlap did just make history. And it's not emotional or subjective to say you can never... And will never make any consequential history on the Live Golf Tour. You don't know that. It's never going to happen. You don't
0: know that. I'm happy for you that you are so convicted in emotionally thinking that, but you're just making assumptions.
1: Nick Dunlap just got his name next to Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Nick Dunlap just did something that only seven other people had done before him in the history of golf, and he just got measured against something that happened in 1901.
0: Tiger Woods didn't win a PGA Tour event as an amateur.
1: Yes, but Tiger Woods was the last person to win a PGA Tour event after winning the USAM.
0: Yeah, so don't lump him into that. Phil Mickelson was a guy, big live guy too. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so those are my takeaways from the Bob. What's of hope.
0: the title of this pod going to be? Emotional Adam? Should we should we title it now? I'm not emotional. Ship it.
1: <laughs> Stamp it. Lick it. I'm not emotional. <laughs> But those are my takeaways from the Bob Hope. Great takes, dude. Good job. The history Nick Dunlap made is worth far more than $1.5 million. The PGA Tour still means something. And I guess I'll add a third. PGA West, to echo your sentiments, is a joke. It's one of the worst telegenic golf courses I've ever seen. There is zero penalty on dry land for bad shots. And Pete Dye gets way too much credit for being a great architect of difficult golf when his stadium course gets torn apart every single year. Hey, Pete a 20-year-old amateur just won at your golf course at 29 under par, you're not a mad scientist or a genius. It's so true. And and anyone defending PGA West, just give it up. There's nothing to defend there. PGA West looks like a
0: water park or a lazy river. You're like, oh, that's cool, but doesn't look real. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like, that's chlorine and
1: Those aren't rocks, that's concrete. (laughs) I I texted my buddy Jason Neibel when the tournament started. I said, it looks like TPC Sawgrass didn't get watered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a joke. Staying on golf and staying on the Bob Hope. As most of you know, Engel and I went out to La Quinta Country Club to play a practice round with Pat and Kazire a few weeks back. He stopped over on his way to Hawaii to get a last look at the place before coming back for the Hope. And we were the lucky sons of bitches that got to tag along for the ride. Amazing day. Now, you could argue that we had some skin in the game when Patton Kazire got back to the desert for Showtime this past weekend. Obviously, we want to see him do well in any event that he's playing in, but I think I speak for both of us when I say we really wanted him to light the place on fire because we were there for his final walkthrough. And you better believe I was... Yeah, it wasn't his final walkthrough, but it was an early walkthrough. You better believe I was fully prepared to take a ton of credit if he went low and torched the joint, and I was gonna say things like, yeah, that was us. We loosened him up, we got him in the right mindset, we showed him some things out there. I was gonna say those things. But unfortunately, the opposite happened. And look, I don't want to talk about this. I never want to talk about my friends having a bad day, but facts are facts, and PK shot a 74 at La Quinta Country Club en route to missing the cut at the Bob Hope. And trust me, that hurt me a lot more to say than it hurt PK to hear if he's listening. I hated even repeating that and disseminating that information despite it being public knowledge. So now instead of feeling responsible for a great performance, I feel <laughs> responsible for a bad one. Ooh! And let me ask you this. Did we mess with this dude's juju? Were no. We, <laughs> were we the worst playing partners in the world? Are we why Patton shot two over at a country club that usually just bends over and takes it from the pros? I mean, regardless of what I tell myself to sleep at night, there's a good chance he's thinking all of that, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, professional athletes are notoriously superstitious. And if he's having a bad day at La Quinta and he goes, damn, last time I was out here I was with Engel and Hawk. Those guys fucked me up. No,
0: you know what he was thinking? He got his first birdie of the day. And he's walking to the next tee box, and he's like, I sure wish I had one of Engel's Irish treats for breakfast. <laughs> little birdie juice,
1: boys. I'll say this. I think it's safe to say we're not getting invited back to any practice.
0: I don't race. know, dude. I think if, if it was the old days where he could have uh, snuck around the corner and I gave him a little birdie shot of some Irish juju, I think he goes on a tear, dude. Yeah. I
1: really do. Meanwhile, I'm over here thinking we're bad luck. No, nah, we're not bad luck. Gotta give credit where credit is due. Two weeks ago on this very iPod broadcast, you predicted that Tiger Woods would launch his own apparel line with TaylorMade. It appears that is exactly what's happening. Breaking news from the Ingalls Always Right newsroom. (laughs) Last week, TaylorMade filed a trademark application on the name Sunday Red and a logo that kind of looks like a tiger. This isn't a visual medium, so it's hard to describe the logo other than it looks like the Greg Norman shark logo, except it's a tiger. And as for the name Sunday Red, it's being abbreviated to SDR, which I have a massive, massive problem with because I'm a stickler for grammar, S D R. That three-letter acronym... Doesn't Im- make sense. That three-letter acronym implies there are three words, one starting with an S, one starting with a D, one starting with an R, but SDR stands for Sunday Red. Sunday is one word, not two, and this really chaps my OCD ass. You, Are you really that surprised coming from a
0: company that's famous for making drivers and Changing up the spelling of words to call the driver models. This Rocket Ballsier. <laughs> <laughs> this? Remember, folks, as cool as you think TaylorMade is, they, in one period of time, came out with a line of drivers painted white called Rocket Balls. And the Rocket Balls 2 that came out afterwards was called Rocket Ballsier. Is that real? Yes. So every time you think that this company that comes out with the the stealth, the burner. <laughs> like, get out of here, dude. TaylorMade might make some wonderful woods, but let's just keep it on the up and up, folks. This is going up against Callaway and the paradigm. And TaylorMade has the worst model name clubs of any other company combined. All time. Lick it, stamp it, ship it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so SDR for Sunday Red. That that kills me. It's like when someone says it's their birthday weekend. The word day is in birthday. It's a day, not a weekend. There's no birthday weekend, birthday week, or birthday month. You get one day, you selfish brick. SDR, Sunday Red. I hate it. I don't hate the name. I hate the shorthand acronym because it's grammatically incorrect. I also don't hate the logo because I simply don't care. I'm apathetic towards it. But I find it funny that so many donkeys who love Bad Birdie and Bogey Boys and Sunday Swagger and Roback have an issue with Tiger's new apparel logo. You don't get to like Bad Birdie and Sunday Swagger and Bogey Boys and have a problem with any name or any logo. You lost the privilege of criticism when you put on those clothes. Have you ever seen
0: the brand that's been around for like 80 years called La Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just squint your eyes, run that. Logo through the Xerox machine a few times, distort it a bit, and pull the orange out, and there you have it.
1: You think Tiger's new logo is a ripoff of Le Tigre?
0: 100%. You can uh, layer them on top of each other and have a fucking look. Okay. I won't, but I'll take it. I mean, Tiger's is like the Ray Charles version. (laughs) Looks like uh, (laughs) the uh, old ladies in the class were... Happy Gilmore had his grandma, unfortunately, staying for a while. Looks like they stitched that logo together. So you don't like the logo?
1: It's whatever. What about the name? Sunday Red, abbreviated to SDR.
0: Not surprised, not impressed. There's no way that TaylorMade's gonna do better with Tiger's line of apparel than Nike did as far as sales are concerned. Tiger's line never did great anyways. I think it's a non-factor. He'll probably get some sales over like Masters Week. Guys will want to buy the red shirt just so they can like wear it to their master's party. So it's kind of like the football jersey of golf shirts, fandom shit,
1: but you're not going to be seeing that stuff in the wild. Finally, as we wrap up here is a little PSA, a public service announcement to make your life a lot better as we're all looking for ways to improve in 2024. You ready for this? Can't wait.
0: Go to bed at 9 (laughs) PM. It's impossible. Sometimes
1: go to bed. At 9 p.m. And I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to everyone. Go to bed at 9 p.m. It's perfect bedtime. You want to get eight hours of sleep, wake up refreshed at five in the morning like a grown ass man, avoid doom scrolling at night or getting stuck in pointless text conversations. Go to bed at 9 p.m. It's really easy to do too when your wife stays
0: up till 11 taking care of the kids while you just get your beauty rest. Talking to me?
1: (laughs) Say it to my face. (laughs) That's not how it goes. Thanks, babe.
0: I'm going to turn in again.
1: Yeah, okay, so you're wildly wrong and inaccurate. Uh,
0: You
1: you think you're right. uh, Listen. I'm going to text
0: Mina right now.
1: Listen, here's how you divide up your day perfectly into three eight-hour segments. Eight hours of sleep, 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Four hours of me time, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eight hours of work, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Four more hours of me time, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. There you go, folks. You want to divide your day into the holy trinity of work time, me time, sleep time. When are you a dad? During the me time. Oh. The greatest asset and gift I have are my kids. Oh. That's yeah. my me time. We, yeah, me time. When why, don't say, you guys, why don't you guys
0: go? I'm going to stay back and watch some movies. <laughs> when I say, Is that your me time too? When I say <laughs> me time, I mean time <laughs> that isn't work or sleep. Babe, I'm pulling over. I got to walk this out. Be right back. Me time. <laughs> Go
1: to bed at 9 p.m. Because here's the thing.
0: Mina, you clean up this throw up. It's just not, I'm on. It's look at me time.
1: <laughs> I should have called it something else. I should have just called it me time. Yeah. Well, you lost me at that one, but it's not. It was a bad label. Yeah. yeah. It's non-work, non-sleep time. Listen, listen, listen. What do you have to stay up for anymore anyway? TV is on demand. No one is watching shows as they air on cable TV. I like to stay up for sci-fi, Miller Light, and Fireball. <laughs> Get your Miller Light and Fireball and sci-fi done between the hours of after dinner to 9 p.m. I, I, I'm helping with the family. That's not me time. That's work. Roll everyone back. Roll it back. I'm not going to bed at 9 while the rest of my family stays up. The family's turning in at 9. And I have reached that age in my life where I am now bragging about how early I go to bed. Look, folks. Here we go. If you're going to
0: help out with the family a little less, go to bed. But if you're going to pull your weight, wait till the baby goes down, and then you have some me time. And stay up a little later, have a couple vices. I don't know. My way sounds way more chill.
1: Here we go. Ryan Engel, who has one less child than me and got to fatherhood many years after me, is giving me life advice. Yeah. Because
0: I've seen it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, yeah? I've smelt it. I've tasted it. I know all about it.
1: Eat your dinner between 6 and 7. Watch your shows till 9. Conk out and wake up before the rest of the world on 8 hours of sleep and do it all over again. I'm telling you, 9 p.m. is the perfect bedtime. It's an all-time life hack. And you can keep doing this where you stay up late and you come in tired and you complain about not sleeping, or you could just roll everyone back to 9 p.m. Do it. 9 p.m yeah bedtime me time (laughs) (laughs) me time yeah me time bad label for it yeah bad label non-work non-sleep time eight hours of sleep eight hours of work eight hours to do whatever the hell you want okay i wish mina was on this podcast with us do you i do yeah it'd be fun you want to bring my wife on the podcast so you can dissect and audit my bedtime and see if everyone else is awake and if is pulling all the weight while I'm... I
0: just... It'd be interesting to hear her, you know, opinion about me time. That's all I'm thinking
1: about. <laughs> I need you to come off of that label, okay? I should... Oh, uh, be-
0: no, yeah. The me time is going to... It's really going to stick. It's like a public maple syrup container. Real oh. sticky. You know, when you go to IHOP and they got like seven different flavors of syrup. Those are three tin containers I know have never been clean in their oh, life. Right, right. <laughs> How is there not seven million fucking ants at IHOP? What a great question. <laughs> We got to get to the bottom of You it. know, the fact that there's no answer, I want to know what kind of poison they put around their building.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Me time. This has been the fellowship with Adam Hawk and Ryan Engel, and we will catch you next week. Me first in the gimme gimmies. <laughs>